You're listening to the Food Freedom Podcast, hosted by me, Dylan Murphy, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. Food Freedom Podcast explores the topics of intuitive eating, mindset, and body respect to help you create a lifestyle of lasting food freedom. We believe it's possible to feel confident in your food choices and connected to your body. And here on Food Freedom Podcast, we will show you how. I am a registered dietitian nutritionist and owner of Dylan Murphy Nutrition, a nutrition coaching practice helping women make peace with food, heal their relationship with their body, and create sustainable health habits. We welcome all foods over here, from kale salads to queso and everything in between. Let's dive in. Hey, Erica, welcome to Food Freedom Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Dylan. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited. Um, I was also thinking, because I feel like we met and connected at Icon Live, which was like this time last year. <laughs> um, I know, it feels like three years ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, because that was, yeah, before COVID and <laughs> life. Was, yeah, we were like in a room with what, like a hundred people and sitting close at table. Oh, those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> Wearing cute shoes. Yes, yes <laughs> like dress in normal clothes. <laughs> I'm like some of those clothes I wore there, I probably more sense. <laughs> Same. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, well, I would love if you took a minute just to introduce yourself to our audience, um, who you are, tell us a little more about your practice. Oh, wonderful. I'd be happy to. So yeah, Dylan and I, you know, we connected because we have so many similar passions and I am a dietitian. I'm certified in eating disorders and working with eating disorders. And then I'm certified in intuitive eating. And those are the two places that I come from in my practice. It's almost like a big spectrum. And uh, I love sharing about ways for you to heal your relationship to food. And I do that on Instagram and Align Nutrition in my private practice. Um, at alignnutrition.com. And then I also have an online community where it's kind of a newer, we've launched, I launched that um, almost a year ago as well, um, just to, to really find ways to connect with people and teach some of these concepts differently. So it's like weekly coaching mixed with um, worksheets, courses, all of that good stuff. <laughs> that's so cool. Cause that's what, I mean, I feel like we have very similar <laughs> models in our business where we do intuitive eating and eating disorders. And so sometimes they like intermesh, but sometimes they're kind of two different, like sometimes we treat it like we kind of have these two different, like ideal clients. Almost. Yes. Um, and I think that membership that you do is great, even probably for intuitive eating, or maybe even like once eating disorder clients get to a point of needing yep. just to learn more about intuitive eating. Exactly. That's totally how I see it. Once you've done some work and then you're kind of moving into this space where you still have questions, things are still coming up, but it may not be so um, much that you need to yeah, be connecting with yeah. someone individually every single week. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's been going really well. That's awesome. And something that you brushed over, but is a huge deal being a certified eating disorder dietitian, like that's huge. Cause I know that's something I'm like, I always tell people, I'm like, I'm working towards it, but like, it takes time. <laughs> like it really is. It's you're studying under someone, you're reading all these books, you're taking the tests, you're doing the courses and you know, you're learning along the way, but it does, it just takes so much extra time to do. Yeah. And it's cool. You'll be awesome at it. Like you're basically the way I see you is just checking the boxes and then you'll be, <laughs> you're already there. 
Yes. Cause sometimes I'll have client or I guess prospective clients who I guess just like know the questions to ask and they'll ask like, are you certified? I'm like, I'm working towards it. It takes a long time. So like, it doesn't mean I'm any less qualified. I'm just, I'm in progress, I guess, with that certification. Um, well, yeah, today, um, I would love to just kind of dive into relationship with food. I know you said you talk about that a lot, even on your Instagram of like, what a healthy relationship with food is, um, because I think that can even, I don't know, become like jargon for us as dietitians. Like we say it all the time, we know what it means, but from like the outside perspective, it kind of, it does sound funny of like, what, like, how do you have a relationship with food? Like, what does that mean? And how do I know if mine's healthy or not? So I guess first to start, like, could you describe a little more, especially for someone listening who may be from that, like vantage point of like, what does that mean? Like, that sounds kind of weird. Like, could you describe that a little more? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I've had so many clients that their spouses have been sitting next to them. Like who has a relationship to food? What are you talking about? Yes. Like, well, we actually all do. <laughs> Let me yeah, tell you. <laughs> Absolutely. And so that's kind of how I end up defining it to a lot of people is, okay, so we all eat, we all have since we were born, and that's a biological and emotional process because we are receiving sustenance, which is very primal. And then we also have, you know, emotional bonds with our caregivers. And so it's this idea that we, we eat, we have a need for that, and then we have emotions. And there's always a chance for any of those to get mixed up at some point, Um, especially in the society that we live in and a lot of the messages we receive. And eating disorders, there's kind of that, like you were saying, there's kind of like two people. And there's this idea where, hey, your relationship with food, um, you know, emotions and food may have just gotten mixed up a little bit for you along the way. And then for eating disorders, there's kind of this next level where a lot of neurobiology kicks in and your brain has actually been hijacked by this disorder. And so that kind of takes over at some point. And that's what's running the show. So this extra step of, you know, taking care of both. And so for most of us, just kind of day to day, us regular people that may have not been suffering from some of these conditions or mix ups, it's really that, um, that kind of unquestioned, you know, I eat when I'm hungry and I eat whatever sounds good and I stop when I'm full. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, for many of us and probably our listeners are like, yeah, I'd love to get there. You know, yeah. what, how do I get back to that? You know, who I was before a lot of these things became an issue in my life. Mm, yes. Yes. And what, like, what are things that you see impacting someone's relationship with food? Because I feel like, and you mentioned this, like we're all, I mean, obviously we all have to eat, like that's just kind of bottom line. And, and we're born, I feel like having a, I guess, positive relationship with food. And then obviously along the way for, you know, a majority of people, there are things that impact that. So yeah. What are some things that you see impacting that for people? Yeah. Oh, great question. Um, There's definitely that kind of biological piece. So if somebody is, um, you know, maybe they're like an example of that would be being in a negative energy balance. That's Mm -hmm. what happens a lot if somebody's dieting or maybe they got their wisdom teeth out and they lost some weight. There's something that's going on there. Um, And then there's also that kind of psychological, whether it's co-occurring, you know, maybe somebody has anxiety or um, depression or, um, ADHD or obsessive compulsive disorders, there's kind of that 
um, psychological piece that or trauma, especially trauma. I can't believe I forgot that one. Oh, uh, most important. Um, super important. Um, and then there's also this, um, you know, the environmental piece. And that's that one where, Hey, you know, where did you get these messages about, Oh, my gymnastics coach used to tell us that, you know, the girl who was the tiniest was the one who was the best or, you know, whatever else. Um, so there's that kind of like environmental part. And then, um, you know, there's that kind of like your personality, what types of things can lend towards you developing, um, and, and, um, potentially unhealthy relationship to food. And so developing a healthy relationship to food, it ends up kind of happening in the reverse where you have these kind of like, okay, I'm able to relate to people better. You know, I've gotten my food and emotions have been kind of sorted out a little bit better, or I'm able to understand when my anxiety is speaking to me about food. I've sorted out some of these co-occurring disorders, or I've recognized that a lot of these messages about my body were never my own, and I'm trying to think about them differently and get more internal. So they're often people with a healthy relationship to food tend to feel more confident about their food choices, um, a lot less guilt. Um, they tend to, um, have less stress in mm -hmm. their lives and how they're kind of relating to people. Um, and, um, yeah, are just generally more like kind of internally focused, you know, in some of those things. Yeah. Cause food, I think, you know, food for someone who has a healthy relationship with it is more fun. It's more relaxing. It's I mean, it's what it, it's bringing it back to what it's intended to be. And when your relationship with food is not in a great place, food is like a huge stressor for people Yeah, where it's like, it's good. It's bad. I'm guilty. I feel like good that I ate this. Like there's so much like, I guess, morality that we put on food when it really doesn't need to have all of that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I, I was listening to a training yesterday, um, on gut health. Um, yeah. Dr. Heather Finley at gut brain nutrition, she was teaching about it and she was talking about just that one of the biggest things with impaired digestion as it relates to eating disorders is related directly to the stress. And mm -hmm. so often we're looking for, Oh, what food can help me? Food's just sitting yeah. here. I'm constipated. I feel awful. Um, you know, I'm dealing with all these digestive complaints and how much of that is tied to that level of stress physiologically yeah. when you're eating. Yes. Yes. Which I feel like is a huge component that people make. Cause I mean, I think all of us almost at, especially in this past like year, our baseline is almost stress. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and we try and find all these other things to fix it. And then we look and see like, oh, maybe food's a big stressor too. Like if I work on that, that's going to end up relieving a lot of stress. And yeah, I see that so often with clients that come to me thinking they have, you know, they're allergic to X, Y, Z food. And I'm like, I'm not discounting you. Like we can look into that, but first let's look at like your stress levels and even just your general like relationship with food. And a lot of times that helps to fix the gut issues, um, right. which is nice. Cause I'm like, I'd rather that. And then now you don't have to worry about, you know, cutting out gluten for your whole life. Like you can actually eat it and you don't have celiac. You're good. Yes. That's something in listening to your podcast and why I'm so glad to be here today. Like you're always talking about, you know, how can we take away, how can we mess with the food as little as possible? Because you want to guide people and you want to teach them about food and their bodies. But because we're trying to get back them back to that individual place where they started, it's like, 
hey, if we can work this out and you figure out that that vagus nerve that's running from your brain all into your intestines is causing some of your digestive complaints, then how cool that you can go get a latte with a friend and not worry if they have a special type of creamer available. Yeah, yeah it's so good. Because yeah, I think even like as dietitians, like I think back to like our schooling, like I think we are taught to first look at food because it's yeah. like food, nutrition, like food, yeah. yeah. And it's like, okay, sure. Sometimes it may be food related. And I even take that with clients. I'm like, okay, if you are like literally having horrible digestion every single day, or when you eat this specific food, maybe it is like dairy or whatever, but, but yeah, let's like try and not <laughs> cut food out. Cause that's, I mean, that's stressful, even for people who have a great relationship with food, but are, you know, let's say lactose intolerant, that does cause stress that like, I hate that they have to endure, but right. it's a stressor of like, when you got to eat or when you're out of gathering, like all these things that we also don't do now, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, like it, it does impact your life. Um, but yeah, I like the way you divided it up to like all these different things that can impact our relationship with food, because I think that can be helpful for people to identify like, okay, do I kind of notice things in all those different pillars or is it more like the physiological or is it like emotional, biological, like, and a lot of times I feel like it's a combination of all the things. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And I, I think that comes into play a lot too, with that kind of societal environmental one versus kind of your own biology and your own like psychology as well, because it's like, you know, we've all talked about how if we could fix culture, literally no one would have a problem because that's where we're taught. But hope, like as much as I wish that could just go away tomorrow, we still have um, some work to do individually to heal. Mm-hmm. Be resilient. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's like with the environmental aspect, I feel like it's so much like unlearning first of like, why are these things that you've heard in the media or maybe even heard from like a medical professional before or, you know, loved one, whoever it may be, why they actually might not be true and, you know, what's, what's true instead. But I feel like that unlearning piece is kind of like almost the first step that so many people have to do. So then they have that like clear, like um, blank slate is the word I'm looking for to like start with. Yes. Oh my gosh. A hundred percent. So what does it look like then for someone who like realizes like, okay, I need some help with food, my relationship with food. And I want to work on, you know, these different pillars, biological, you know, psychological, environmental, um, to really move towards a more like positive, balanced relationship with food. Um, what may be, and I know that's also like a weighted question because it's so, you know, individual person to person, but what may be some examples of what that would look like? Um, or yeah, just some like tangible examples of how someone may do that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And you're right there. It is individualized. Like you and I both understand that, but we also know, yeah, there's so many guideposts where we see these overlap between, and that's why we have like group programs and individual programs. It's like, Hey, I'm working with you by yourself one-to-one, but also everyone I work with shares a lot of these same qualities and let's go through it together. Um, 
And that's, so the way I think of it, yeah, is that kind of that, like dividing it up a little bit, kind of like the, um, the environmental societal piece, and then that kind of individual healing. And like you were saying about the unlearning, like, I think there's this element of, okay, like if we start at step one, it's starting to unlearn and like reject a lot of those external messages. That's kind of the psychological work there. And then step one on the biological side is to start eating enough. Yeah. And that obviously goes along with gut health and stress. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I see that show up a lot where I might be working with somebody who they're like, yeah, you know, I reject all of this. I don't subscribe to any of it. And yet I still find that I am allowing all foods and I can't stop eating. Mm-hmm. And we know some of that is just rebound deprivation right. and that will heal in time. But also if you're not eating enough toast at breakfast, rice at lunch, or a potato with dinner, and you find that, hey, I'm allowing all foods and I can't stop eating after 8 p.m., hey, there's this biological part too where you want to learn for yourself, what does a meal look like for you? How often does your body need to eat? That's part of that going back to who you were before these food problems started is like, what is your rhythm? like, and, And how does that look day to day for you? And I think those are really like the two in the way I see it, like starting points kind of divided in two. Um, Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think that's so good. Even with the biological, what you were talking about, like I was thinking too, how that can change so much day to day. Like I was talking to a client about that yesterday, actually, I think. And she was asking like, you know, why, and she's much further along in her eating disorder recovery now. And she was asking like, you know, why do I notice like, some days I'm a little more hungry than other days. Like, do I still need to eat the exact same? Like, what do I do? And, and with that, it's like, yeah, your needs may change. Like if you're exercising one day versus like, maybe you're just sitting at your desk all day and not getting a ton of movement, your needs may change. Um, different foods have different like nutri- nutrient density. So like certain foods may make you feel more full and you know, that might impact your hunger cues. And, and some of it too, I think is helping clients and just people in general, like look at food neutrally or, and even look at, I guess, your hunger cues neutrally. Cause it's easy. Like, I mean, diet culture, any diet, like demonizes hunger. You know, we see like curb your, we see all these supplements to like curb your hunger. Like how, how do you fight hunger? It's yeah. It's like you eat, like just eat and you're not hungry. Um, which I know that also comes with so much privilege of having access to food, but like eating when you're hungry is like step number one, but it's so hard because, you know, we're taught on these different diets, like just drink water. Maybe you're just bored, just, you know, chew gum, all these behaviors that are also like very disordered eating behaviors, eating disorder behaviors. So yeah, really all in all, I think the biological, even the environmental, it's like, okay, let me unlearn these things that I've been taught about, like how to curb my hunger and realize that like, I might need to eat more than I've been eating and being able, and this might even bring in some of that, like psychological, like mm-hmm. being able to sit with that discomfort, like, cause it might be kind of uncomfortable to eat, you know, two pieces of toast at breakfast when you're used to eating one. Yeah. The psychological is going crazy. Mm-hmm. I picture I'm almost like two lanes on a highway and they're like running alongside each other and you're having to manage both at the same time. Yeah. Uh, yes. That's a really good example. Um, and then it's like how it's so hard. I feel like, cause then it's like, okay, how do I like 
hold all that, like manage all this at the same time. Like, okay, I'm trying to eat more, but now I have all this stuff in my brain telling me like, I can't eat more. And then I have this environmental stuff, like screaming, like don't have two pieces of toast. Like don't have carbs <laughs> at breakfast in general. Um, and I think that is a perfect example of like why people need dietitians. <laughs> like why right. it's helpful to bring someone along your journey because yep. it is hard. Like it's, it's really hard. And it's, and it's easy. I think too, when people are at that state of really wanting to like heal their relationship with food, it's like, you're also like, so almost like innocent, like you, you're easily like persuaded by things of like, I feel like sometimes dietitians, even dietitians and maybe not dietitians, but people in general can like promote intuitive eating, but then it's like eat intuitively and lose weight or like things where it's like, I don't want you to fall victim to one of, one of those things. So like work with a dietitian who like actually knows their stuff. Um, yeah, the actual steps. Cause that's, I, I, I do, I, I see that the same way as you, where your relationship to food is a foundation of anything else that you're doing. And, you know, yeah, you're working these two things that are running alongside each other, where you're looking at like, okay, I'm trying to understand for myself, what, what does it mean to eat enough and starting to reject a lot of those external messages, things like don't eat carbs after dark or don't snack between meals or eat six small meals a day, or, you know, only eat in this window. And like you said, it's this huge undertaking. And that's why I think those two biological and psychological steps, they are just step one, but yeah. they last a while, you right. know, you're just kind of like rinsing and repeating those two things. And then you're starting to bring in some of those psychologically forbidden foods mm-hmm. and you might do that step by step, you know, okay, I'm going to start with having graham crackers and being cool with that. And so I'm going to buy one pack a week and I'm going to have them with peanut butter because I feel super cool around peanut butter right now. That feels safe. I can pair it together. It goes with my afternoon snack and I'm cool. And I'm okay with that. And then you just start to build up those momentum where you're like, well, you know what? I did okay with the graham crackers. My first run with the cookies didn't go so well, but I know I could, I got through it with the graham crackers. So I think I can do this again. Yes. That's, I feel like can be such a confidence boost for people because it's Mm -hmm. like looking for proof of like, okay, you used to be terrified of eating graham crackers now you can. So what if the same was true with cookies or potatoes or, you know, whatever else food under the sun where yeah. often I see like, cause one of the things I, I do a lot with clients is have them list out like, okay, let's list out all your food fears, your food rules, rituals, all the things like we don't have to dive into them yet, but let's just list them out. And then oftentimes like once they've started to challenge like a few of them, the other ones get easier because it's like, okay, now I have proof that, you know, what I feared would happen if I ate graham crackers and peanut butter every day didn't happen. And spoiler alert, like I actually loved them. Like it kept me full. It was a fun afternoon snack. So then that can be true for everything else. Like it helps give them that confidence that, you know, they didn't realize or didn't think they had. Totally. And I think, you know, one of the things in working with somebody like you or I, you, they, you realize that you are just starting over. You're like, Oh, I'm not like totally going back to the beginning. I'm just starting over with this new food Yeah. and this stepwise process as you go. 
And then, you know, the next kind of biological psychological that comes after you've been practicing over and over and over and over, I got this, your confidence starting to increase. And then it's, um, it's kind of like your client where you evolve enough to go, Hey, you know, I've been practicing this for a while and now I'm kind of wondering what my own individual hunger feels like, because I'm noticing these differences. So then you have this like really big trust of hunger that's starting to emerge and you start to get closer to it and tune into all the nuances of it, what your own kind of personal brand is. Well, at the same time, yeah, you're continuing to do the biological stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Cause I think hunger, I, even when I'm like trying to describe it to clients, because a lot of times, whether eating disorder or not, like it's easy to get so out of touch with your hunger cues but then trying to like describe it to someone, it's like, this is even hard to put, like, you'll know it when you experience it kind of thing. Like, it's like, it's hard to almost put words to, and it can, you know, look different for different people, but that can be so empowering because then, you know, the goal is you can interpret your hunger cues and see like, okay, do I just need like a little something to hold me over for, you know, an hour till I eat lunch? Do I need something more filling? Like, what do I need right now? Like what, what sounds good? And that's, you know, that level of trust. And I mean, I think that's like a perfect example of a healthy relationship with food, being able to look at it so neutrally, like what sounds good? What am I in the mood for? Like, what do I, what does my body need right now to carry me the next few hours? And you have that data from step one that said, Hey, yeah, I remember what I found out when I was brave enough to add toast to breakfast and how great I felt all morning, even though it was uncomfortable in the moment. And And yeah, and then psychologically, that's kind of running alongside of this like emergence of hunger and trust in this data. That's where you're starting to go almost more into um, like kind of you're developing your own belief system with this stuff. I think body image really comes out here too. And you start to go, okay, now I'm in this for the long haul. I've done some work. So what's next? And that kind of... um, I think mindful eating starts to come in a bit more because you've, you've sort of like fanned the flames of all of that, like deprivation from just being in a state of not eating enough and being so stressed about food for so long. Yeah. Is that kind of what you see too? Absolutely. And sometimes I even refer to it as like a honeymoon stage at first when people are walking away from diets, it's like, this is fun. It's new. It's exciting. And then after a few months, especially if there are like changes in their body or they're having to get rid of clothes or cut back on exercise or, you know, some of that like control factor, like that's when it can get really hard of like, okay, like I I like all this that's happening with food, but I don't feel the same in my body anymore. And that can take a lot of work too, of like helping clients like come like just make peace and like have a healthy relationship with their body as well of like how do I let go think it almost goes back to that even I think of like environmental like how do I unlearn what society told me I should look like because of you know my height or whatever the qualifications may be and how do I get to a point of really just trusting my body and knowing like I think of set point weight and, and all of that of like I know my body will will land at a weight or a weight range that makes sense for my unique body. Yep. Oh, 
Exactly. And I love that you mentioned the set point weight, because that's, that's one of the biological things that supports that psychological element of body image and how you have that kind of perceptive, like how am I experiencing my body and how am I seeing it? But also what should I expect here? Yeah. Um, and that's where, Hey, you know what? I wonder what your weight is when you're fed on a regular basis and you have good energy and you're clearly eating enough because of your digestion and yeah. your you know, all the other signals, like whether it's, um, hair growth or skin or concentration, sleep, mood, all the things, you know? Yes. Yes. That's, that's what I tell clients. I'm like, you're going to reach this like equilibrium in a sense of like, okay, if I'm kind of, if I'm like, you know, quote unquote, checking all these boxes, like my body can regulate temperature. I'm eating when I'm hungry. I actually have hunger cues yeah. and where your weight is, is like, where your body's meant to be. And we can't, even though, you know, diets make us feel like we can control that weight. Like it's like a thermostat. Like we set it, if it's set to something, that's where it's going to land. You reassure yourself through those waves that come up about your body in your relationship with food, because you say to yourself, well, I've been practicing eating for a while. It feels really good. I feel an equilibrium mm -hmm. and rationally, it makes sense because I've learned a lot about um, these things that I learned that were incorrect and I have accurate data on myself. And so I think that's one of the things too, where you're like, I'm surely not overeating or whatever, you know, you're afraid of in those moments about your weight, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, my weight's changed and I must be doing something wrong. But then, yeah, you can fall back on that. And that's something we see with people who have a healthy relationship to food as well. There's less of a connection between what they're eating and weights. They, they're kind of live separately. Yes. Yes. And like a thought that just came to mind too, even thinking about like reaching this point of like a healthy relationship with food. Like, I feel like it's also a lifelong process and seeing like, okay, what are like something I tell clients a lot, like even certain things that, you know, maybe for example, weighing yourself, maybe that's not something you struggle with anymore, but maybe in the past you have. So maybe it's a good idea to just never own a scale just because we never have to even like go there again and worry about that being like a struggle um, or, you know, following certain people on Instagram. Like, I think there's some, I guess that's almost like boundaries too, like some boundaries that can be really helpful in, in making sure you continue on that, like forward progress with a healthy relationship with food. Oh, totally. It's, I love how you're talking about it that way. Cause it's protecting what you've created. Yeah. You're, you build up a resilience, but you're also saying, Hey, I'm kind of changed now. And I don't measure myself that way anymore. Yeah. I don't relate to those people. Yeah. So like, I don't, that's noise. I, I don't need. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's good. Oh, I could like talk about this topic for hours. <laughs> like oh, right? I the clock. I was like, Oh my gosh, have we already been talking for this long? Um, <laughs> gosh. Yeah. It's so, it's so good. And I feel like so many people, need to hear it and and to know like it like i think a lot of what we've talked about is how it's like it's a process like it's not like you you know realize you have a unhealthy relationship with food and it just changes overnight like it takes time and takes hard work and can be so uncomfortable and but at the same time like looking back it's so freeing and so like worth you know the roller coaster journey that it may be oh my gosh it totally is a mm. hundred uh, times over yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes, I could like shout that from the rooftops. <laughs> yeah, it never gets old either, you know, yeah, and seeing, yeah. it, seeing other people achieve it, living it yourself. It just, mm -hmm. it, it's always a gift. Yes, I agree. 
So the way I love to end interviews, even, you know, on the topic of food, like I think with our culture, it's easy for it to, for just like the fun and enjoyment to be taken out of food. And so I love to hear what a favorite food memory is of yours. Oh my gosh. So one of the biggest things that I did, I love how you said that because something that, yeah, I learned in healing my relationship to food is kind of embracing being somebody who loves food. Mm-hmm. And that's just not, like you said, other cultures really embrace that. Um, I do have an Italian background wow. and yeah, so I'm one of those people. I mean, I have cried <laughs> during a meal before cause it was so good. And, and it was at this French restaurant and it was just amazing. The atmosphere, the food, all the different courses and it just uh, kind of like we started in the beginning, like food is biological and psychological. And when you have a healthy relationship with food, part of being mindful, part of being present is you just, you taste things just so vividly and you just appreciate things so much and you're just enjoying it. And you're like, cause you're feeling all the feelings, you're letting in the joy of that moment. And I've had so many like that, but the, the French restaurant one that just, it was dim lighting. I was with good friends, a big table of friends someday. (laughs) One day. Yes. And the conversation, it was just, it was amazing. And yeah, I can't wait to have another one of those. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I love like anytime I have clients who have an Italian background, like that, I feel like as an example, I use all the time of like, like in the Italian culture, like, and it's like pasta and like all these like amazing savory foods. And I'm like, like, that's your roots. Like we need to get you back to that. Like that's important. Um, Mediterranean diet has been studied so much and, yeah. you know, we're always trying to figure out like, was it the reservatrol and the grapes or yeah. what is, is it the mega threes? And it's like, yeah. And they're also enjoy food and have a relaxed cultural lifestyle enjoy wine so maybe there's something there yeah uh yeah that's so good um well erica where can people find you if they the want best to place you. to find me yes is on instagram at align nutrition that's where i you know share a lot of tips and strategies and um and then yeah kind of go from there. I have the line nutrition podcast, which I will be having Dylan on soon. So please come check us out. And, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I love your podcast. I recommend it a lot to clients too, because I feel like it's a great resource for practitioners and just for people who are wanting to learn more. No, thank you. And ditto to you because we need more, uh, collective voices. Cause like we were saying, there's so much misinformation out there, or it's presenting nutrition information in a way that's not coming through this lens of, Hey, your relationship with food is a bit mixed up. So let's talk about that. And, yeah. um, I think that one's tricky and I guess that's, you know, maybe we can talk about it sometime more in the future about like tangibly, like even more so tangibly, like what are the characteristics of a healthy relationship with food? Because like you said in the beginning, like we can't do, we can't talk about that until we talk about the unlearning. And I feel like that's a lot of what we covered today or what are the steps to kind of back away? What does that process look like, feel like, what do you expect in this journey? And then you kind of arrive, you know, from there. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so stay tuned for a part two. We'll have, I'll have to have you back and we can talk all about that. Cause that's such a good point. Like, I think, you know, I think we can't even address that until we talk about everything we talked about today. Like, okay, how do you get 
to the point where you're at that starting line to be able to begin that journey to a healthy relationship with food. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you so much again, Erica. This was such a fun conversation. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our show. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Food Freedom Podcast. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Free Method Nutrition for more inspiring content on food freedom, intuitive eating, body respect, and many other things. If you're curious how you can support our podcast and help it to reach more people like you, we would love if you would take a minute to rate and review the show. We drop new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe so you always catch our latest conversations. See you next episode.